Hey, business building warrior, it's Jim. Another great episode of Silent Sales Machine Radio. Today, we've got Gene Wright on the show. He's a coaching student from the Jim Cockrum Coaching Program. He's in Canada. Seems like we've had a nice little run of Canadian guests lately who are succeeding. We've got students all over the world. But with the exciting developments in our coaching program in Canada, man, we're just seeing some huge success there right now, as well as in our coaching program overall. Just story literally every day in our Facebook group, success stories coming in. If you haven't jumped on our Facebook group, or it's been a while, or you've never been in there, it's a great place to go. And we actually tag success stories as they come in. So you can easily look at that topic tag and scroll through, starting with the most recent success stories back in time. And every day, literally, for the past several weeks, a minimum of at least one, if not a handful of success stories are popping in from our community, from our courses and coaching program. It's all organic, just happening. So that's a great thing to do. Go to silentgym.com, jump into our free Facebook group. We have many members who use Facebook only for that Facebook group. That's the only reason they're in there. But it's a powerful community of 60,000 plus people that are doing life together, helping each other out with their business challenges, encouraging each other. And Gene's one of them. Man, he had some creative things to share on today's episode. I've already recorded the episode. I'm doing the introduction after the fact, so I can kind of set things up a little bit. But he's following our replens model, which you've heard us talking a lot about that model, I know, on a lot of these episodes, but there's a reason for it. It's because we're seeing so many success stories. And this educational component of this business exists for one reason to create success stories. If we lose the ability to create success stories from our students who come into our community, we'll shut that part of our business down gladly because it shouldn't exist if it's not creating success. That's what we do. Gene's just the latest example of a guy who's really got it dialed in. To break down the numbers a little bit, he is, we did the math and we kind of talked it through in this episode. He's making about $75 per hour for this gig that he does. He's a full-time professional with another career and somewhat flexible hours, but he works full-time on the side. He's earning $75,000 an hour. That's what his take-home is. He sold about $500,000 on Amazon last year. And he talks us through how he finds his stuff, how he preps it, what he does, what his system is, even how he gets stuff from Canada into the US, which is really cool. Save some money there. Some great tips. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Let's get Gene on the line. You're going to love this one. So, Gene, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Excited to dive into your story. Let's go. All right. So, uh, I, I've been uh, uh, one of these people that's always wanted to either uh, own a business or work on my own for pretty much my entire life. Uh, you know, right out of high school, did uh, uh, did jobs that allowed me to do whatever hours I wanted, make as much money as I wanted, always wanted to, to do more. And uh, one of the things that I tried getting into about four or five years ago was doing stuff online. Uh, You know, like everybody else, I watched YouTube videos and I listened to other podcasts uh, that talked about, uh, you know, hey, how to sell, uh, how to drop ship online, how to how to buy stuff from Alibaba and and sell it online. And I, I tried a little bit of that here and there, made a little bit of money, but nothing that I was able to scale. And I always kept on getting drawn back to uh, my current business. Uh, uh, for the last 10 years, I'm a home inspector up here in Ontario. 
and, and uh, that's what I do. But uh, due to the nature, the cyclical nature of the business, I was always looking for something else. A um, couple of years ago, I uh, I started selling on Amazon. Uh, the recommendation was to sell textbooks and books, um, but I didn't like the idea of selling in Canada, only because. Um, Canada being one-tenth the size of the U.S., it just didn't seem like the right market. So I, I, I started by trying to sell books in the U.S. And, uh, and while I, I started out, I was gung-ho, and uh, I quickly realized uh, it, when it come to books, nobody in the U.S. wants to read Canadian content books. <laughs> really? Yeah, but even oh. our university textbooks. There would be the world edition, and then there would be Canada's edition. The only ones I could get my hands on were Canada, and they just didn't sell. And and we don't love our uh, our garage sales as much as you guys do. I mean, they're not necessarily the treasure trove of of things to find, you know. Um, so over time, again, I had a, a failing with that, and it just didn't work out. I came across your podcasts and I was really inspired by them. I, I listened to them for a couple of months. I read your book and then I thought, okay, I'm going to do Amazon again. I'm going to give it another try. Um, but I, I, I did the whole, I did the idea of going around my house and found things to sell. But again, unfortunately, I was disheartened uh, by it. A after the second month, uh, I didn't even have the money to make the second payment on uh, uh, on the, the pack course. So I let that lapse and, uh, and I stopped doing the pack and went back to my business until last summer. Uh, back in the summer, uh, you know, COVID had hit, everybody was locked down. Uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to give uh, Amazon another try. And just as I, because I had the money, so I, I paid for the pack course outright this time. Didn't want to lose it. Too much information there. And uh, at the same time, uh, uh, this this new coach of yours, Jimmy Smith, had his course come up, and and you had it on sale. And I thought, you know what? Let's see what this is all about. Because for me, it was always sourcing. Sourcing was the issue. Uh, I tried to do the online sourcing. Uh, you know, buying stuff on the internet to me seemed like I was going to be competing with everybody. So, so I signed up for Jimmy's course and, uh, and I started doing it. And, and after the first couple of days of his course, uh, I, I went out and, and decided to, uh, to set up camp in my, in my local Walmart. And I went through and it took me two hours to go through the first row, uh, the first aisle. But over the period of a couple of weeks, I had been there so much that people were coming up to me asking me, hey, where do I find this? And where do I find that? So I didn't but even the employees started coming around and, hey, how you doing? Because here I am with a cart and I've got five of this and five of that and 10 of this. And you're standing in one spot for half an hour at a time. <laughs> you got it. So I went through and I did it and I developed my list of, uh, uh, I think I was up to about 80 or 90 replens. And uh, I found a couple of uh, ways that it made it easier for me to do it. So that would be a tip that would be great to, that I think people might be interested in. People have a tendency to overcomplicate things. 
And that's the greatest thing about the PAC course. It's the greatest thing about Jimmy's course. It's do it simple, do it smart. And one of the things that I find that was overcomplicating is people would go out and they would find one product, they'd find one replen, and then they would go on to the next one. Well, I'd find a replen, and then I'd start looking for how many different variations of this product, multi-packs, bundles, I could get out of this one product. So when I did find one thing on the shelf, it led to 10, 15 replens. Um, I have a list right now of about 200 viable replens. Now, obviously, when scaling, money becomes an issue. And so a lot of these replens, I'm still waiting to, to get into my pipeline because, you know, I've got to build up. But half of my replens all come from, okay, I found this flavor or this color of product. What other flavors or colors are now selling? And what other bundles can I make with them? What other multi-packs can I do? And that's how I developed my business. Let me talk to the skeptics for just a moment because I'm always cautious about the new listeners in our community and they may be writing off this business model because of some of the things they think you're saying right now that aren't as restrictive as maybe they're thinking they are. One of them is, okay, I'm not going to go stand for three hours or two hours at a time in the middle of a grocery store. Can I still do this? Absolutely. That's one of many ways that this business can be done. We can uh, also just go to the store, take your phone, take a picture of a section of the store. What I like to do before I take those pictures is I'll flip around so the UPC is showing and the front is showing. So if you got two of the same product, you turn one of them around so you show the UPC barcode and you also see the product title, you know, brand, how many ounces it is, and just do that on 20 or 30 products, which it's really weird for people looking at you, wondering what you're doing, but you take your picture, you put your stuff back nice and neat, you go home and you could spend your time there. So you spend 30 seconds, a couple minutes in the store, and then you go home and do your research there, right? Or you could never go into a store if you want. You could do it all online. We have plenty of people that do this model completely online, buying stuff. We call that the online arbitrage strategy. Uh, but the beauty of it is finding replens. And I always like to ask people, you know, before we go on with your story, I'd like to hear what is a replen to you? If you had to define it to somebody who maybe they've sold on Amazon or they understand the concept, like you, they've fooled around maybe with yard sales and books and scanning stuff in the clearance section of a store and they've been a little frustrated. Maybe they made a little money, but they're kind of frustrated. Convince that person that replens is different. What is what is a replen? Well, first thing I would want to say is that we need to be careful, and I see this in all aspects of life outside of Amazon as well, outside of what I'm doing here, mm -hmm. and that is people have a tendency to take a word and shoehorn it into what they think it means, yes. and then they blame the people that teach them it when it doesn't work out. I'm a strong believer in, you know, this word has this meaning. Let's use it properly. I could do a whole episode on that. Yeah, I find that even in my home inspection business. When I'm going to explain something to somebody and they come back and they say, well, don't you mean this? And it's like, no, no, no. That you've misunderstood. That's something completely different. This is what I mean. Uh, we, we've become so worried that we have to read between every line 
that no people no longer take words at face value anymore. So with that in mind, to me, a replan is something that you can buy at a regular price that you can sell over and over and over again and not have to go out and reevaluate it or to do your first time evaluation on a product. When you, to me, when you go to the clearance section, you find a product, you evaluate it, that's great. But once that product is not on clearance anymore, now you've got to reevaluate it to determine if it's still worth selling later. So that's one of my tips is I like to look at the, the regular price that I can get a product for. Is it replenishable? Is it profitable at that level? If I'm able to three times a year buy it on sale, that's extra cash in my pocket. I don't need to worry about it. But if I know I can buy something, a $5 widget every day, all day, and it's profitable and it's always profitable, that's a replay. That's right. There's no special discounts needed. You don't have to wait for the sales. You you know exactly how many units are going to sell. Not exactly, but any given month, you're pretty stinking close. Are you worried about other sellers hopping on your products? Um, yes and no. I'm I'm not worried about them as much because I'm not buying things on sale where I only have a limited amount of time to get the product. I know the product will sell at the price that I that it's uh, that I've been at. I know what my margin is. Now I have grown to be a large enough seller that I rely solely on a repricer and I do have my minimum sale price. But that minimum sell price I rarely meet. And if I do meet it, it's only for a short enough time for somebody that wants to come in and torpedo themselves in the foot to sell their product out, and then I get my price again. Sure. Or even the worst case scenario might be that they found a source that you can't find and you can't compete with them on price anymore. But that's one of, what'd you say? How many ASINs? 900? <laughs> 200. 200. Well, you'll be at 900 in no time. Well, yeah, but I'm doing this all. That's one thing that you're that the audience would need to know. Cash. I'm doing this all on my own. Yeah. I don't have a, a fulfillment center. I don't have mm. a prep prepping people. Right. I work a full-time job just like a lot of people do. Beautiful. Now, my job is uh, a self-employed business. So some days I have a lot more hours than, than a nine-to-five job would give. But then there's other days where I'm working 12 hours at my other job and I come back and I work another five, six. Hours. Right. So your, some of your restrictions right now are the prepping and packing time required to keep up with your ASINs then is what I just heard you say. Oh, definitely. And the cash flow as well. You want to remain cash flow positive. You're not wanting to go deep into the hole to, to, to dig out later. You're trying to, are you trying to keep it pretty much uh, positive cash flow at every step? Well, I am using, I am using credit cards. Okay, but I'm using credit cards smart. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, uh, up here in Canada, credit is not as easy to come by as it is down in the States for the average person. Um, I do run through my credit cards and I would say I cycle them in that any purchase that I make, the money I get on my draws will pay it back for that purchase within three weeks. So even though I've been doing this for a year on credit, I've never actually paid interest. Exactly. You pay it off before the bills do. Very good. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to advise people one way or the other on that. You'd think I'd have a strong position by this point, but it really comes down to the maturity 
and the discipline of the individual. I could tell a group of 10 people to take the approach that you just took. Four of them would end up in a disaster zone and, and two of them would leverage it well beyond what you ever have. And some people are in the sweet spot where you are, Gene. So I'm hesitant because I don't know the personality. I don't know how disciplined you are. I don't know if you're able to, to delay gratification or not. You know, I don't know the character traits of the person I'm dealing with. But if you've been doing this for a year without paying any interest, it's obviously working for you. It's allowed you to scale much quicker than you would have otherwise. Right. Well, I actually, uh, that actually is from my history. Um, I mean, when I left high school, I, uh, I, I've even ended up on the street. Uh, you know, lived on the street, lived in the rooming houses, had $20 to my name type thing. But I also learned to live within my means. Mm, good for you. And unfortunately, like you said, it depends on the person. There are some people that have learned that they can live on credit and that it's not a problem for them because they don't feel they'll ever have to repay it. And that's not the way to do business. Yeah, that's scary. It is a discipline yeah. issue. and a, a character issue and a discipline, right? Yeah, but for those people that are disciplined enough to pay their bills and pay the credit, it is a great way so that you don't, so you can scale up. Uh, uh, otherwise, in the beginning, my goal was that every time I received a payout, then I used that money to, uh, to, uh, to buy more product. To be honest with you, I actually scaled my credit as I scaled my business. I started with a thousand dollar credit card a year and a half ago. And uh, I'm definitely a couple of 10 times more than that now. Yeah, exactly. A good credit score can be leveraged into, you know, that's what capitalism is. It's using other people's capital. Of course, of course. That's the definition of capitalism. If words mean things, it's simply using other people's capital. If someone has excess capital and they're not able to use it to accumulate more opportunity and more capital, they may very well give it to someone else who can do so. Unfortunately, some people use it to go buy a bunch of stuff they want and they end up in wild debt. That's a poor use of capital, other people's capital on the credit card. If, however, you're using that 8% credit card or that 15% credit card, it doesn't matter what the interest rate is. And you're going out and paying the bill before it comes due, you're leveraging that cash flow for the 30 days and like, hey, let's turn this into a little bit more money. So you're paying the bill before there's any interest assigned. Well, that's just leveraging someone else's money, using other people's money to grow. And it's it's a great way of doing it. Yeah. You do it without going into debt. Everybody's happy. Um, I love it. Well, enough on that because plenty of people have strong opinions on that, but I have seen a good number of people come through our community, coaching program, taking our courses, who have leveraged their credit cards properly to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise and to scale up quickly. Yep. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Yeah. It just happened to be the way that I was able to do it. Um, but at the same time, everything I did can be done even on a cash basis. Exactly. I just prefer to do credit because like a lot of the courses teach, if you can find any way to save an extra percent or an extra 2%, my credit cards are all cashback cards. So I get that yep. extra half percent or one, and that's just a little bit more cash in my pocket. I took my uh, whole family on the last, the last time we flew, it was all seven of us flew on an airplane round trip for under a hundred bucks. I think it was because of some fees we had to pay. <laughs> <laughs> because of the points off of all this inventory that we buy, right? Those points got to go to something. Why not fly yep. free, right? So, you know, when you look at it that way, it kind of starts to make sense. There's there's some extra points there to to use. 
it's costing us nothing. It's actually putting more money in your pocket, assuming you don't let that interest definitely become due. Then, then it's, then it's costing you some cash. Uh, so let's, let's keep going through the model. We've defined, we, we heard about your early days. We've defined what a replin is and hopefully put people at ease. I think, uh, we talked to those people who have a misconception about this model thinking, oh, that means yard sales. That means selling books. It means, you know, sometimes when you say replens, talk about the misunderstood definitions, people think we're talking about consumables. Like, oh, you're talking about vitamins because, you know, it's people, the same people buying the same product over and over. No, we're talking about products that sell predictably at full retail price. You pull them off the shelf when you need them. I don't care what it is. If it's got a barcode on it, it's a potential replen. It can be anything. Definitely. So we've defined all that. Let's go through your story. You started off kind of kind of playing around, a little frustrated, trying to sell some books and stuff, and, and you found replens. It started to take off for you. Where are we at now? Let's get the story back on track. Well, where I'm at now, uh, when I started 18 months ago, uh, I started in July. And by December, uh, my December last year, uh, 2019, uh, my December was $25,000 in sales. And I had started in July with $400. So six months in, that's pretty. That's a pretty nice month. Yeah. And so that's a little over a year ago. Right. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a little over a year ago. I hit the 25000 mark at, at the end of December. Now, I'm not going to mislead people. When I say I started with 400 I did. I started with $400 the first week. But knowing that it was going to take 8, 10, 12 weeks to start getting money, I'm realistic in this regards. Uh, I, I actually vowed to put in $400 a week. So I did that for eight to 10 weeks. And then once I started getting draws from Amazon, I kept, I, I would take my $400 and I would add the draw money I got from Amazon. And that's how I started to scale up. So I knew that I was investing. In this case, I think uh, I invested a total of about $6,000 over the period of the first four months. Okay, but that's what I was comfortable with doing. Okay, different people are going to do it at different uh, different sure. um, But uh, you know, since then, I haven't invested any of my own money. I've actually been able to take money out. So in in December of 2019, I hit 25,000. I thought for sure in January and February, everybody said the sales were going to go down, and uh, but mine came in at 25,000 for January and February. And uh, this last December, I finished with $83,000 in sales. Wow. For the month? For the year? For the month. For the month. Wow. My entire year, uh, my entire year of 2019, okay, my first six months, I did about 60000 in sales total. Okay. In 2020, I did $534,000 in sales. Phenomenal. That's beautiful. That first year was 60K. Yep. And that was six months worth of work. Year two, 534,000 yep. in sales. And something we kind of breezed right past, but it's a beautiful thing. That part of your story is December was a spike, but it didn't slow down in January or February. It kept right on rocking. And that's the beautiful thing about replans. Something we didn't point out earlier, Gene, is we don't get excited about seasonal items that are hot for a few weeks in December the hot toy for Christmas or, you know, uh, the, the seasonal flavored cupcakes, you know, oh, that course. only come out once a year. Like, it, yeah, sure. Grab a few. If you can turn those $5 bills into $20 bills, sure. We'll grab a few, but that's not what gets us excited. What gets us excited is the stuff, the boring stuff that sells two to three units every week. 
every month, year round, you get a bunch of those, that's a replin business and it's nice and steady and predictable. And it's really hard to take down too. If competitors come in, they can't take it down. They can take down one of your ASINs, one here, one there, maybe, but they can't take down your business. No, the, the strong benefit of the, about the replans, and it's it, a lot of people, like you mentioned, ask, well, do you have to stay in the store the whole time? Can you do it online? Can you do it through pictures? While you can, yes, you can. There's one thing that people aren't getting, uh, aren't catching on to, and that is the fact that it's a short-term time investment. Yeah, I, I would spend five hours a day in Walmart for about two weeks while I was figuring out those initials. But once I started getting a list of replens that I could just buy again and again and again, my time spent in the store dropped dramatically. I was no longer spending five hours in the store. I'd be in and out in an hour with two carts full of stuff that I know sell because I already sold them. Right. You're just replenishing your stuff. That's all it was. I mean, it's... That's the name. uh, Jimmy will get really mad at me for saying this, uh, but in the 18 months that I did it, uh, I would do... uh, I spent two, three weeks in Walmart for hours. I did the replens. I got my 90 in 90 days... Uh, type thing, you know, 30, 90 and 30 days is uh, his challenge. Uh, but then I got so busy just replenishing those that for about four months, I stopped going to the store to find more right. because I couldn't do right. it. You can drift on that momentum. You got it. And and one of the, the things that came up, what, that's how I actually learned, okay, I got to spend, I got to find more, but I, I don't have the time to do another five hours so I started looking at my replan list and started looking at, again, variations. I started looking at, uh, at, you know, different flavors or colors or, you know, even the box size being different. Well, what, you know, can I sell a bigger box? Yeah, they sell great. And how I'll go get them. You know, once you find replans, it's so easy to expand and grow from that. That, yeah, okay, you might spend quite a bit of time in the beginning finding the replants, but once you do, you're not necessarily doing it unless you want to. Right. You can establish a lot of momentum and drift quite a long ways off those that first short period of intense focused effort and finding those replants. But I, I would suggest, um, this to me seems like the most obvious question to ask next, what's your plan to build out a team? Well, my plan at this point, I started to, I'll be honest with you, I started to uh, to help to find somebody to do uh, to do my packing for me. I'm going to explain a little bit of my process because a lot of people, to a lot of people, it'll be foreign, okay? Uh, and And they won't understand why I am not doing one thing or why I'm doing another until they learn, until they understand what I do. Now, there's a couple of benefits. Uh, of the way I'm doing it that work for me. Obviously, they might not work for everybody. I'm in a in a really good position. I'm only a couple hours from the U.S. border. Okay, uh, I love going out and and just doing a lot of manual labor. It's the kind of person I am. Uh, so I go out. I I found my products. I I do have a team though unorthodox. I actually have three stores that I deal with where I have the purchasing manager's phone number. So whenever I want to play, whenever I want to buy something and I need a skid of this or 
200 of this or 10 or five. I, I text them, I call them, I say, okay, here's my list for the week. And they, they're like, okay, we'll let you know when it's in. And I get a text message back, you know, a couple of days later, okay, the product's going to be in tomorrow, come and get it. So I've enlisted the buyers, the buying managers as my buyers, and I don't have to pay them. Well, you are paying them. You're buying product from them, right? <laughs> They're ordering it special for me. Now, I did that by telling the telling the, the managers, by telling the people at the store, look, I want to buy this product from you. If I found a really good product and I tested it a lot, okay, I never sidestepped the testing. If I tested it and now I'm up to buying 100 or 150 every month, then then I would I don't want to clear their shelves. I want to be respectful to them and their customers. So, so I order it and then I come in and they bring it out of the back for me and, and I pay for it and I go. So take us through this. I'm sure it's a horribly complex process of, and if you detect the tongue in cheek of establishing a relationship with a store manager, was that a complex process? No, no, it's, you know, just going out and asking them and saying, look, you know what? I've been buying, you know, 10 of these or 15. I want to start buying more. Yeah. You just ask for the store manager and have that conversation, right? I asked uh, one of the customer service reps, who would I talk to about about buying through you guys? And and they brought up somebody in this particular case. It wasn't the store manager. In this particular case, it was a buying manager, the evening store manager. And, and I said, look, you know, I, I'm buying a lot of product from you. I, do, I really don't want to be clearing your stores. Is there any way that I can give you an order that you can add to what you're bringing in and, and let me know when it comes in and I'll come and buy it from you? And they're like, yeah, definitely. I mean, they even contact me uh, on a regular basis. Hey, we just got this new product in. Are you interested in it? You know, we can get this in, we can get that in. That's awesome. I, and are these, I'm sure there's, you know, let, let's help answer the skeptics questions. Are these name brand stores that we'd recognize? Like, are these big chains or are these like little mom and pops that you're doing this with? These are big chains, very big chains up here in Canada. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I buy some of my products through Costco. Okay, which is no different than yours. Um, up here, we have a, uh, a store called Loblaws, which would be akin to your Wegmans. Okay. Akin to which one? Uh, Wegmans or like your, your grocery stores. Mid-sized, yeah, grocery store. Yeah, chain. well, yeah. these guys sell grocery and they sell clothes and they sell household items. Well, the Loblaws brand has four or five different banners underneath it. So, you know. But they, they are big. They're, they're not mom and pop stores by, all, by any means. So the, the point is, if you're just brave enough to have a conversation. Yeah. That's the only thing standing between you and, and basically hiring someone to source for you that's paid on commission. Yeah. <laughs> right? Have the conversation. I just happened to have a conversation and said, can you, can you order this stuff for me? And I even went so far as to, instead of me asking them for their number, I turned around and said, look, here's my phone number. Here's what I want you to get for me. Let me know when it's in. And sure enough, they started texting me and I said, okay, can I, I, I have more product that I'd like you to get. Can I send you a list? And they're like, yeah, sure. So now once a week, I send them a list and a couple of times a week, they let me know product has come in and I go and pay for it. And they're even bird dogging for you on some new products. Maybe you can check out giving you the- You got it. 
And a lot of times those new products make great replens. They do. They do. You, because you kind of become trained to spot things that you haven't seen before. Like they jump off the shelf at you a little bit and like, that's a replen. I can tell before you even research it. Have you had that happen? I have, but I'll be honest with you. Um, everybody looks for a niche. I don't even know if it's niche, niche. Who knows? I don't either. I've gave up trying. I've been doing this 20 years and I have no idea. But uh, everybody's looking for a niche. And and I happen to come across a niche that works for me. Okay. So I rarely look outside my niche. Um, mm. But remember that niches can be anything. In my case, my niche is that my product is local. That, that my products are things that I can get, but my market can't. I'm in Canada. I sell it on .com. There's, would you believe there's a lot of things that are made for the Canadian market that aren't for sale in the U.S.? Makes total sense. So that's that's what I work at. But I, I mean, I've got my relationship. I've got my buying uh, all down. Uh, I I bring it back. I do all my own packing. Um, now, at this point, a lot of people would be like, okay, well, you can always use one of these companies that'll take it across the border but they're expensive. And I'll be honest with you, when I first started, um, for my whole life, I've always been a, uh, there's two kinds of people, either those that have more money than time and those that have more time than money. And I've always felt myself to be a more time than money. So for me to get down, roll up my sleeves, get my elbows dirty and do the work, knowing the value I'm creating is that I'm not going to see it on an hourly wage, but I'm going to see it in the growth of a business. One thing that wasn't touched on in that $534,000 was 29,000 products. That was 29,000 individual products that I bought, packaged, and drove down across the border. Wow. To save yourself the money of having a third-party service help you. You got it. So I actually take the time. It sounds weird. But it, for me, it's a five-hour round trip, and I drive down to, uh, I'm in Ontario, I drive down to Niagara Falls, and I drop the packages off at the local UPS. Oh, I thought we used to say you drop them over the waterfall. Okay. <laughs> That's probably better to go to the UPS store. Yeah, well, but because of that, I actually save about 80% off my shipping fees. So do the math for me for a second. Sure. How much money did you save doing that? Let's just do a little math for a second. Get approximate. Up here, it would cost me around $15 a box to get it across the border. Okay. okay. Well, I uh, I ship usually around 25 to 30 boxes. So we're talking about $500 a shipment. A shipment. To go across the border to get it to Amazon. And how many shipments did you do? Um, I, I'm doing uh, three, three or four a week. Okay. So, so that's about, that's $1,500 to $2,000. Right? Yes. But just on one, it's $500 right. to ship one shipment for me. Okay. But it costs me about $150 through Amazon's, uh, you know, purchase, payment to UPS. Mm-hmm. But then it only costs me $40 in gas to drive down and back and five hours of my time. So if I'm realistic at at $30 an hour, which is high, it's it's not even costing me $200 to take it down. Right. But it's saving me almost $500. 
numbers can be hard to follow over an audio video like this. So that for the, so the sake of the listener, let's break it down real simple. Sure. And I'm going to actually ask you a question about how you could possibly improve the process that you just described. Uh, but you're saving a significant amount of money by driving it down. I am. And my proposal is you could be having someone else do that and freeing up your time and using that time to find more ASINs. Why aren't you? Two reasons. One, in, in the COVID time right now, it's a little difficult to expand. And I would rather expand on other areas first. Hiring somebody to drive stuff down, sure, it would relieve me of more, make more time, but all I would be doing is trying to package more product. And no offense, I'd prefer to pay somebody to package. So you probably start there with the packaging. You drive them, you enjoy the drive more. These are all basic math. If you know your numbers, everything we're talking about right now are math decisions. They're math-based decisions. Of course. So as you're keeping track of, and I'm betting you're the kind of guy that could break it down right off the top of your head. Maybe not, but you could get pretty close. What are you earning per hour to run this operation? What are you putting in the bank? Um, I'm putting in the bank about $50 an hour. So if to bring someone else on for 10 an hour, assuming they work the same amount you do, you're, now you're only making 40, but you're able to focus on the growth. Of course. Are you with me? So at the point that you're able to do that, that's the, so $50 an hour, let's just, let's hang there for just a second, Gene. Yep. There's people right now going hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt, getting an education that's not going to ever produce a 50,000 or 50, it, it would basically be a hundred thousand dollar a year income. <laughs> $50 an hour is about a hundred thousand a year. I messed up my math because I just sat down with my accountant and, yeah. and my numbers on that 530,000 in sales, my profits, $160,000. Okay. So I think I'm off. I'm at, I must be up about 75. 75. I must be at $75 an hour. Yes, you are at least if it, it, and that's assuming you're working at pretty much pretty close to full time. I and that that I am. That I am. Okay. So that's a fair number to work with. 70 you're you're earning $75 an hour. So my example is even better on what I was about to say. Definitely. Now we're talking about 150,000 approximately. The way to convert an hourly wage, by the way, this is a little tip for the listener to what your annual income is associated with it is just to double it and then add three zeros. So if you're earning $10 an hour, that's $20,000 a year. If you're earning $50 an hour, that's $100,000 a year, approximately. Okay. Right. Um, so you're saying $75 an hour, that's $150,000 a year income basically. Right. And there's people right now getting educated, going hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt, and the highest aspiration that he could ever hope to achieve with that career choice, many in many, many cases, is fifty, seventy thousand dollars a year, maybe if they're lucky, if they're very, very fortunate. I mean, it's just it's incredible for the price of a course that we charge a few dollars for. In your spare time, you can have a business with these kind of numbers if you're ready to do the work. And that's an important part of it, Jim. You have to be ready to do the work. Yes, there's work involved. You're going to be packing and you don't have to do like Gina's done. You don't have to be the one that drives. You don't have to be the one that, like we're shipping out of our warehouse any given day, a couple hundred products, you know, on a, probably on a slow day, a couple hundred, um, just a round number into our account and to some of our clients' accounts, some days more, some days less. I'm not touching any of the boxes. I'm not buying the boxes. I'm not buying the tape. We've got a team that does these things, right? So I've got a team. I'm not doing a lot of the driving. I love getting out and finding new ASINs though. I'm really one of the best at it. 
on our team. So I'll go out and find new five, 10, $50 a month income streams. Anytime I have some spare time, why not? Got the system on the back end. So that's what this can grow into. But I love the gene that you're a one man show and we can kind of creatively think through, okay, here's what he's earning hourly, 75 an hour. So if he wants to pay someone 10 bucks an hour to come and take off some of this weight so he can grow that business. So then you go from being a guy who just lost a little income to quickly being now it's a hundred thousand dollar an hour for you because you've just grown your business and you've got new ASINs and you can kind of start to have some fun with these numbers. But I think one of the lessons I think I want to really want to pound into the listener's head today is you got to know your numbers before you can do any of this stuff. You got to know your numbers, right? A good accountant can help you with that if you don't know them yet. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that I have touched on starting to develop a further, further develop a team. A couple of months ago, I went out and uh, my, my wife let me know that one of her friends was having some difficulty and was concerned about losing her house. So I hired her on to do packing for me. You know, let's see what she can do. And, and I brought her in and I pay her cash. You know, uh, I, I mean, I, I plan on paying ta- the taxes and everything, but I, I don't want to burden her with it. And you know what? If I pay her cash at the minimum wage, then it's like she's even getting even more than that. Because she's not worried about the taxes. You're holding those out and paying them. Yeah, I'm with you. So so I went out and I hired her on. But unfortunately, uh, I mean, we only got into it about a month, month and a half. And then they did the further lockdowns up here. And because I run out of my basement, you know, even though I can get away with, I guess you can say I can get away with being an essential service of trade, my my wife can't get around the fact of having somebody in the house that's not part of the house during the lockdown. Until the lockdown's done, it's just me. But when she's uh, when she's ready to come back, she's got a place here to pack. And like you said, it gives me a lot more time because the only reason that I'm not paying somebody to drive at this point is because if I pay somebody to drive, I need to do the work to do to get more products so they can drive. Whereas it's easier at this point for me to pay somebody to pack, and then I can drive because. Um, I actually pick up product on my way back sure. from a whole bunch of different places. I have a wholesale account. Um, there's a company up here that manufactures a product. They used to have a retail store in their factory, but they shut it down due to COVID. And I was recently told they also got rid of their distributors. So now the only people that they sell to are big uh, big companies, the big stores that send their trucks to come in and pick up stuff by the pallet. Well, I'm the only person with an account that's allowed to go in that, that does not need to pick up in a semi. And I can go in and pick up one or two skids that I want. I've even had the company call me up and say, look, can you help us out? We, had a, we have people that buy from us once a year and we can't set them up with an account because they're not big enough can you buy their product and deliver it to them? And I said, you know what? It's Christmas. Of course I can. So they put the order through my account. I picked it up. I delivered it. And I, and I was, I was only going to charge a little bit for my time and gas. One gentleman, I I told him I would charge him a dollar. It was a dollar per case. And it worked out that it would cost, he was going to pay me $400 for delivering it to him. 
But when he gave me the check, there was an extra $2,000 on that check for my time, he said, for doing something that nobody else was, was able to or willing to do for him. So, I mean, I thought it was a great way to help out. I ended, it was a surprise that I ended up getting paid for it in the end. But this is one of those places, this is one of those things that I found this account driving home because there was a sign that I passed all the time and I never thought to look in on it that said retail outlet. And I popped in and there's a bunch of products. So I went through, I spent two hours there going through their products, found a whole bunch to sell. And now I, now I pay them was it i think the last bill was ten thousand dollars for a month's worth of products wow that's awesome so what i'm hearing you say right now to read between the lines is you you part of the reason you like doing the driving yourself is because you're out there actually hitting it while you're doing it but i would still say there's nothing you just described that couldn't be getting done by someone else eventually because you know gene you get sick you go down for a month six weeks, you're recovering. You want your business to stay rocking. That's that's one thing that we haven't accounted for yet. And just in helping you take that next step, you can make a phone call and say, hey, this 20, 21-year-old kid that I just hired, he needed a gig. He's going to be the guy showing up to pick the stuff up you know, for the next foreseeable future. But if you need anything, call me. He's a kid. You know, he, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing yet, but he's figuring it out. That is my, that is my next step. Because that, that's where you need to get. Right. But unfortunately, like I said, COVID put a real damper on it. Oh, sure. On all of us. My brother-in-law used to be a long haul trucker. And when I told him what I do, uh, he, he does local run trucking right now. When I told him what I do, uh, you know, driving it down and back and he turned around and he says, if you're ever ready to pay somebody to do it, just let me know. He says, you can pay me to take it across. That's what I do. <laughs> That's right. And here's the thing, Gene, is as entrepreneurs, sometimes we have this, and I'm not accusing you of this. I mean, we all, because we all do this, but we think I'm the guy that started this. So I'm the guy that's best at this. That's not true. As soon as it's someone's job to do the tape on the box every day, they will be out taping you in about two weeks. Right? Oh, definitely. They'll be better than you ever were. Because when you're putting tape on boxes, you're distracted thinking, is this what I should be doing right now? Or should I be doing ASIN? Should I be listening to podcasts and studying and doing my numbers while I do these boxes? How often should I take a break? But they're thinking, I'm getting paid $12 an hour to put tape on boxes. I'm going to be fast. I'm going to be good. I want to earn a you raise. You got it. You got it. And, and that's what we're moving towards. They're better than you. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That is my next goal. My next step is to expand it. Beautiful. And that, that's why entrepreneurs, that's how we, not governments, that we as entrepreneurs create jobs, create opportunity and create meaningful work for people to do. Uh, that's what part of what I love being an entrepreneur. But we also have to find creative solutions. Yes. I mean, we here's solve problems. It, there's a, there's an interesting problem that I, and, and do through the group, I've had several people call contact me asking me some questions and I have no problem with giving them the answers. But one of the questions that always gets asked is, how do you get the stuff across the border because the Canada-U.S. border is closed? Great. Yeah, let's hit it. Okay. So there's one piece of information that I would give anybody in Canada that's interested in taking stuff across the border. You need two things. First thing you need to do is you need to get yourself registered with a, uh, it's a national carrier identification number from the U.S., Okay. Once you get a national carrier identification number, then you're considered commercial trade. 
So you know now, now you have to create your manifest. You have to do your paperwork, which is, you know, it's part and parcel to going across the border. But because you're considered trade, I've been going across the border three to four days a week, every week throughout this entire pandemic. And so all my products are getting across the border. Now, I also see people talking about, well, you know, you're, uh, they, they, they ship stuff into Amazon and it's taking weeks or months before it's unloaded. I could show you my screen. I, I'm not going to, but I could show you my screen where I send a shipment on Thursday and by Tuesday, Amazon's unloading. Now, I don't know if it's just because of where I'm sending it or the way I pack it or what it is, but don't be discouraged. Uh, you know, people can't be discouraged on, on time. Yes, the money's, yes, the products are waiting in Amazon, but if you do it right and you're making your money when you buy the product, then, okay, it takes two weeks to unload it. Keep on working on your next product, your next station. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of the replens model is there's no time crunch. There's no Christmas rush. There's no, no. got to get this in right now. Because once the machine is churning, it churns about the same every day. And you just keep feeding it. When stuff sells, you send more in. When stuff sells, you send more in. And as long as that gap doesn't get so big between sales where you're sold out, you know, you're only keeping two or three units in stock. They all sell in a day. You got to wait three months to get more in. You don't want to get that big. You, you try not to hit zero is what I'm saying on these replants. Of course. But that's a great time to scale. You keep enough in there that you don't hit zero. But at the same time, you don't want so many that if the price tanks, that you're stuck with excess inventory. That's the game. But that's also a beauty of a replant. Is because so because if you pick a, a decent replant and watch your numbers, I mean, if you find something that's selling ten a month, that's still a replant. But if there's fifteen sellers on it, that might not be a good replant. May or may not be. I'm on some that are exactly how you just described, and I'm quite happy with them because a lot of times what you'll discover is, you know, hey, it's supposedly this sells fifteen a month. Well, no, it actually sells about one hundred and fifty a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Keepa is not accurate. I actually use Keepa and Helium 10. And I find if Keepa says that it, that it sells 10 a month, Helium 10 will tell me it's close to 100, 120, 130. And that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And sometimes you'll see just the opposite too, where Helium is dramatically overestimating what's really going on. But the rule of thumb I use is you multiply at least two, if not three times, whatever number Keepa shows. That's about the most, that'll tell you if it's worth testing or not. Oh, definitely. Multiply it by two or three. What I was getting at was specifically the idea that if you do get a product where you can find out realistically that, that it sells so X number of units a month, but the number of sellers is greater than X, then that might not be a decent replant. So exactly. I look for replants. Now, I'm, I go up against Amazon. I go up against uh, FBA, you know, five, 10 seller FBA. My favorite replants are ones that the only people that, do, that sell it are, are merchant fulfilled. Because once I turn around and I send five or 10 in and they sell out in three days, and, and then I end up taking over, the, taking over the listing. Yeah, you own the buy box. Yeah, I take over the buy box. But the other one, I actually look for listings that are no longer available. 
and then see if I can find the product. I, I've revived listings. So just because the the sales rank says, you know, 600,000, well, if it hasn't sold in five months, of course it's going to be high. Why not send five mm -hmm. in? Yes, test it. That's brilliant. I love that you said that. Even if it's been out of stock for a very long time, it's worth testing. Yeah. So you start to develop these instincts. That was actually one of my biggest sellers was a product that I found that had been out of stock for five months on Amazon that I turn around and I sent in a few here and a few there. And I, I started with five. I went to 10. Inside of three months, I was selling 200 a month. And it, and it was, it's a little, it's a little $17, $18 product. Like it's not, you know, a huge expensive. It's not super cheap. I was actually making 300% ROI on that. Wow. And so your buy price was 17, 18 bucks. No, no. The sale price was 17, 18. My buy price was $2. Four or five. Okay. Two. Wow. Oh yeah. 300%. Yeah. That's beautiful. So it's pretty lightweight, fairly lightweight. That's a nice one. I love it. And it was selling 200 and change a month. Yep. Yep. That's a little, that's a little income stream that pays all your utility bills. And it's just go buy the one I need. You want to go buy more when I need them and you know right where to get them. How hard is it to find this item when you need more? Uh, in my case, because I priced it, I priced it at the regular price and I found a supplier that to, to some degree, I mean, I've been having a little bit of issues. They're, they're not wanting to bring it in by the skin for me because the, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know, they, they just, they're not able to get it that fast anymore. So I've had to scale it down a bit. And let's be honest, uh, I mean, after I sold it for two or three months and I was the only seller, I'm sure some of Jimmy's people jumped on top of it. And now we've got seven or eight people selling on it. But you know what? I, I mean, my, my goal, and I've, and I've started to try to work it out, is to get into doing some private label. I just turned 50 uh, just before Christmas. And uh, I'm, by this summer, I'm going to be retiring from my home inspection business. The only reason that we're waiting is because my wife and I just bought a brand new build and the uh, mortgage broker let us know that even though I'm doing really well with Amazon, the banks want to see a little bit of duration, a little bit of stability before they, they'll allow my Amazon income. So they want me to keep my, my, my home inspection business for my, for my mortgage. But once we get into the new house, I'm going to retire from home inspections. I'm going to do Amazon completely. And at the same time, my goal is to be able to, uh, is to use the money I'm making with the way I'm doing it now to pay for being able to expand in a different direction. I'm looking at doing private label and sending it to a 3PL. That way I don't have to touch it anymore. But I'm making such good margins on this that I can afford to pay for that now. So how are you coming up with your private label ideas? Is is it uh, something that you've kind of seen trends on Amazon and this, you know, some of the niche? A couple of different methods. First of all, I'm one of your coaching students. I've been working with one of your coaches. Um, and I've also come across a couple of different, uh, a couple of different things. I'm a numbers person, so I'm more software oriented. Uh, I'm not, uh, I, at this point, I don't think I'm ready to create the new wheel to sell, but I'm, I think I'm more looking for a, you know what, here's a product that it's, it's popular, but it's not too saturated and 
know, see if I can do something that way type of a PL, you know, get the process down with something that I'm not completely risking everything on type thing and then go into. So not quite the uh, private label, the easy way that Ryan and Jenny teach because I still, I'm still not at, in, into the repacking because unfortunately I'm not in the States. It's harder to deal with U.S. manufacturers. But an actual bringing something in from somewhere else and calling it my own. And then maybe I'll get into, you know, designing my own products, that type of thing. You're wading into it. Yeah, very organically. That's beautiful. And that's the path that we suggest. Unfortunately, I'm a step-by-step. I, I can't do the whole jump in and hope I don't uh, hope I don't sink. I mean, you know, I, I've only got a limit. We don't teach that model. I mean, I, I encourage people away from it, regardless of personality type. There's just simply no reason to risk. Right. Well, it's not the risk. It's the, it's the time sink. Uh, I mean, I already know that the way I'm doing it, I'm making, I'm, I'm making decent money with my time. Uh, you know, if I'm going to take time away from this, I don't want to risk too much going the other way, but, but that's my goal. Cause my, my goal is in four or five years, uh, be pretty much hands off with everything I'm doing here. Uh, if it even continues, uh, you know, after that, I mean, I fully expect in four or five years, if I, unless I find more ASINs, obviously, you, as there was somebody on a podcast that would say that if you're not constantly growing your business, your business is slowly failing. Hmm. Who could that be? <laughs> I think that was one of your earlier podcasts, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I've used that phrase frequently. Actually, that's some wisdom from Daniel Lapp, and uh, it the same goes for it's it's faith, friendships, finance, fitness. You know, in all arenas of life, the significant arenas of life, you're either growing or dying. Yep. Relationships, family, either improving those relationships or they're getting weaker. There's no steady state for any of those things, and it takes a lot of effort to keep them moving in a positive direction. That's why I call us business building warriors. We're spinning a lot of plates. You know, my walk with God, my relationship with my wife, then my walk with my relationship with my kids. You know, those are that in that order. And then everything else after that, that's a lot of plates to spin if you're going to do life right. And it's not an easy path. But yeah, if you're not growing and expanding, so you're not going to reach this magical point here in three or four years where you just kind of step back and, oh, that was great. I mean, you can sell the business, but there's always going to be something next. You're going to be working on something. Oh, definitely. And and you know what? It's going to be something based off of just extending from what I've learned through you guys. Uh, I, I don't plan on hanging up my boots completely. Um, my 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 father uh, and my stepfather are both the the people that uh, you know. Even after they retired, they still kept busy. They still kept working. Uh, I'm pretty much going to do the same. You know, just to keep busy. That's smart because that, that's how you live a long life. You look at the guys who say, hey, in my uh, late 40s or in my late 30s or whatever the number is, it's going to be all about me doing what I want to do when I want to do because I got a bunch of money in the bank now. Those guys don't live long. You know, no. they, that's how they end movies with the guy with a bunch of money and he's going to be happily ever. That's not true. If you're not busy serving others somehow, doing something meaningful that provides value to others in some way, if you become all about you, the statistics tell us the guys that just stop and I'm just going to play golf and spend my money the rest of my life. They're not happy people. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're, just not. they're not. There's very little fulfillment in that. 
There isn't. Yeah. We're designed, I believe, by God to serve others. And when we stop doing it, we kind of get miserable. That's hardwired into us. You can try to deny it and try to fight it, but it's hardwired in. If you make life about you, you know, that's the, that's the Scrooge. That's, uh, you know, the, the Grinch that stole Christmas, you know, that's, that's the bad guys in the movies that make life all about them. We know it instinctually, right? So we're kind of getting off into the weeds, but this is good stuff, man, because this business leads you into relationships and opportunities and creating relation, creating relationships and opportunities for others. That's what all being an entrepreneur is. The money is kind of like the reward for having done it the right way. And and the big thing to take away or that I, that I try to, to tell people or to uh, want to impart on them is don't be afraid of doing the initial work. Don't be afraid. I mean, if you have if you have more money than time, then then go that route. But don't be don't be afraid. If you don't have the money, if you have the time, you can build something to the point where you can become somebody that has more money than time. And like you said, then you pay somebody else to do what you need to get done. Because you started with 400 bucks and turned it and uh, put in about 400 bucks every week, you said, to the point yeah, where you put 400 it. every week for 15 weeks. Mm-hmm. But then ever since then, I haven't paid anything in and I've been taking out to cover my bills. Uh, like I said, we just bought a brand new house. So I've been paying the deposit out of it. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it could even be even, uh, I could have grown even faster if I wasn't doing that. But like you said, got to spend multiple plates. And my wife would never let me get away with, with, with not uh, doing stuff with the family just so that I could do the business. So. Right. Hey, every guy needs a good wife to keep him in line, man. There you uh, go. Without our wives, we'd all be felons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. But my point is, is that people don't need to be afraid of it. Take it at the speed that they feel comfortable with doing, but be dedicated enough to do it, to get up off the couch, but don't, don't just stick your toe in it and wait for it to come to you. You've, you gotta, you gotta start doing it once you know you can, and don't be afraid to do the, the initial work. I mean, eventually we'll all get to be like you where, where everything's done hands off. Uh, it's not, it's more hands-on than you might know. I was digging through a pile of boxes this morning, looking for eight little bottles about this big for a client. <laughs> so, uh, because no one else could do it because mom's out sick and this is going on and that person can't come in today and this client's blowing us up and hey, you know, you do what you got to do. It's not all glory and glamour, but I wouldn't trade the lifestyle for anything. Yeah. I'm not saying that you don't. All I'm saying is, is to be more like you, to be where you have people under you that are able to do it and you're able to dedicate yourself to the stuff as you- The stuff like this, a free podcast. Yeah. Yeah, The stuff that you guys, that, that you're good at. Okay. I, I personally like to drive. Uh, the number one reason that I do it is, be, to be honest with you, is because of COVID and being stuck with two tween age girls. Uh, I mean, even the dog in the house is, a, is female. I, I needed to get away. So <laughs> I, I, I use the driving time to <laughs> get out. That's your man cave. Careful yeah, now. My van, your wife and daughters might hear this episode. <laughs> uh-oh. Well, uh, my my van is my is my my way to get out and to to you know to do other things. We all need that time away, that isolation time, and just you know, for for me, it's just uh, that reflection time. I for me, it's running. I run good handful. You know, I'm, I'm doing about twenty miles a week or so. Some weeks thirty when it's nice weather, and uh, 
that's my time with God and just thinking and reflecting. And it's amazing how many problems get solved when I stop thinking about the challenges and that solutions just kind of pop in, you know, because I'm, I'm focused and, and I've kind of let it all go and set it aside. So driving, that's how you do it, man. But you can always take a nice drive in the country without filling the back seat with boxes, just as a you know. <laughs> well, hey, I ended up selling my vehicle. I, I, I had a minivan or, or, or a small SUV. And because of driving down to the States, I ended up having to sell it. Well, I broke it. Yeah, drove it into the ground, right? And I, had, I ended up going out and buying myself a cargo van just so I could take more product across the States. Nice. I love that model. Uh, I love the creativity that's sparked and the solutions in this community. Maybe the story behind the story here is if you're out there kind of feeling isolated, and I used to do more podcast episodes on this topic, doing business online is a very isolating thing. And especially in the time of COVID, we're even more isolated from each other. And we, you know, we haven't had our big events and we haven't had the, the gatherings. Uh, you've got to find a way to to, to work on that. You can't do this business in isolation. You've heard Gene today talk about building relationships with, you know, store managers and purchasers. And you may say, well, that's not really a relationship. Well, yeah, it is. Relationships come with degrees. I'm not saying that they, you know, celebrate every weekend together by hanging out. I'm saying they know each other. They have their cell phone numbers. He's built a relationship. That is a vital part of your business. You can't make these things happen yourself. You simply can't. You've got to build relationships. And the thing I love about the Amazon replin business model is it kind of forces you to do that. If you're going to do well, you're going to build relationships over time. You're going to see the same checkout people at the store. You're going to get to know some names. Uh, One of the kids I seem to keep running into at one of the stores I hit frequently for different things is, you know, I saw him working uh, towards the front and I was like, Hey, what's your favorite potato chips? And he told me, and I bought him a bag of it on the way out. I'm like, you're just, just for being awesome. Right. And so what's that kid going to do in the future? You know, he's going to notice things. He's going to do me favors. He's going to help me out and I'm going to help him out. And now I've got a relationship. I can speak into a young man's life. Who knows at some point. Um, that's why we're doing all of this. So I don't know why I got on that soapbox for a minute, but I, you, you highlighted brilliantly, I think, it, and subtly at the same time. This is a relationship business. Always has been, always will be. E-commerce is relationship any business is a relationship business. Definitely. I mean, unless you're one of these people that thinks that you can go out, do a business, take a vacuum to suck up all the money and walk away without anybody seeing you, you're going to touch somebody else's life. You're going to impact somebody else in some fashion, whether it be good or bad. So, you know, I try to make sure that my, my interactions are polite, are positive, uh, you know, even going so far as to making sure that when I go in to buy stuff, even when I'm testing, you know, I'm not clearing the shelf. Uh, I had a lady, it was really, it was unfortunate, uh, but, but very, uh, uh, you know, I- I- intentional. She, she came, uh, I was getting ready to clear out. And this is one of the reasons why I don't clear the shelves. I was getting ready to take all the product because that's what I needed. I needed 15 boxes to test something. And, and I was getting ready to take those off and I pulled them, I was pulling them down and this lady came over and she could barely reach the shelf. And I said, are, you know, are you looking for, for this product? She says, yeah, it's a hard to find product. She goes, I guess you're taking them all. I said, no, no, I'm not here. Have three. And, and I just gave her, you know, she wanted one, but you know, I, I gave her three and said, here, you know, to ha- you know, take them, keep them. Uh, but 
my point is, is that when I realized that, you know, hey, I'm impacting the people behind me, you know, that's actually where I grew my, my, uh, my relationship with the store is out of a desire not to hurt that lady and not make it more difficult for her. I, I'd actually bought all the items of a certain certain brand because i'm not against buying them buying them all as long as it's something that keeps he keeps coming back i mean we all make these little ethical decisions i, I don't think there's anything unethical about clearing a shelf to business or doing it for transactions but if you're doing it in a cold way that damages relationships well yeah time to check yourself so i was checking out and i had all of them and the lady who was checking me I was like oh my gosh i love these i don't buy them very often because it's you know it's it's such a treat but man i love these have you ever had them and i'm like to me i'm thinking no this is just a replant you know but i'm like oh is it? i might have to try it sometime these aren't for me is all i said but as she's bagging up the 15 i'm like slid her two of them like hey these are for you just for being awesome you know that's one of my favorite just just for being awesome you know just a little chance to bless somebody she's like really she had to call the manager over and like are we allowed to get product from customer and like I said, hey, are we friends? And she said, yeah. I'm like, I just gave something to a friend. Are you not allowed to do that here? You know, and the manager laughed like, of course. Yeah, put it under the register. Uh, so it, we, you just have fun. And they're going to remember me. I'm going to remember them. And so the point is you've you've touched another humans. You've touched, you, you know, you've, you've made an impact. You've built a relationship. Whether it pays off in the future some way or not, that's what business is all about. If you're not building relationships as you go, you're doing it wrong. Oh, definitely. Definitely. One of the biggest places that I go to, one of the places that I, I spend the most money, uh, when I walk in the door, everybody says hi to me. I'm known as the Amazon guy. Hey, the Amazon guy is here. And by the time I get over to the counter so that I can let them know I'm here to pick up my stuff, they've already phoned back to the warehouse to let them know the Amazon guy is here for his order. And then they come out, and the funny thing is, they have a little uh, chalkboard behind the cash register, and on it is a bet. And I didn't know what it was for the first couple of weeks that it was there, but on it is the names in columns. They actually have bets on how much I spend there. Oh, what your total is going to be. Yeah, they have bets on whether my total is <laughs> going to be between this range and this range. They've got a, like, a, like a hockey pool for, oh, for, for, the, betting, awesome. for the bet of what I'm going to spend that week. Yeah. And and this is a hard part of the business to let go as you scale up. You'll want to hold on to some of those favorite clients and some of those favorite hangouts. And even if it's, you know, the young 21 year old that you hired to go do it for you, you know, maybe you still stop in and build those relationships because that's, that's a very rewarding part of what we do. Well, especially if we're building the relationships, I mean, it is a relationship business and, and maybe that's why I haven't grown and I haven't, you know, brought further people on is because I'm not ready to give up those relationships just yet. Yeah, exactly. That you know, part of the growth process is is uh, includes the pain of deciding when do you when you want to transition away from those, and and maybe you don't. Maybe you, you can always stop in and say hi, right? Uh, one of the, one of my favorite places to go, though, uh, on several occasions when I come in, they'll have a new thing for me to try. Like they want me to eat it. <laughs> like it's a it's one of these specialty food stores that has stuff that I would never eat on ninety nine percent of the shelves, <laughs> and I'm known as the American when I come in, and. Uh, and they're like, you try this. You try it. You tell me what you think. You try it. I'm like, all right, I'll try it. <laughs> you know, along with all the other stuff I'm buying. Um, and, and that kind of stuff just makes this uh, job a pleasure, this career choice a pleasure, man. But, well, Gene, it's been cool hanging out with you, buddy. 
Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. It's been great hanging out with you, Jim. And I, I didn't even realize you were in Canada until you started sharing that part of your story. We've kind of had a nice run of Canadian success stories lately. It's a, it's almost like we did a series on Canada success unintentionally. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, that that comes back to what I said about finding niches sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, whether somebody has a niche of shoes or has a niche of toys, being Canadian can have its own niches and its own benefits too when it comes yeah. to dealing on the American market. Absolutely, it does. And, and, you know, we've got students from around the world. Every every location you have, uh, one, of the, one of the first students we ever one of our first coaching students we shared this with was Barrington McIntosh. He's, he's kind of known as the coffee guy of the Amazon world now yep. down in Jamaica. Uh, he was basically saying, you know, the only, the only thing we have here is, you know, when he came on as a coaching student, I was a little nervous to be honest with him, like Jamaica, what do they have there? Um, it, you know, they have utility companies and they have tourism. <laughs> and if you're not in one of the two, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. But, his coach, I think it may even, it's probably Nathan, I think, uh, our, our director of our coaching said, you know, what products do you have there on the island that would be hard for someone in the United States to get a hold of? How about you send a few of those in and just see what happens? <laughs> and the, as the story goes, you can go back and listen to the earlier episodes. Uh, just instantly, every coffee he sent from the island sold like crazy to the point where the manufacturers and the the uh, the guys who were distributing the product on the island came and said, Hey, we need to meet with you. And they called him in and Barrington called me all nervous and scared. <laughs> and they said, what are you doing? You're our top customer. You're selling more coffee than our top paid sales reps. What in the world's going on? <laughs> he said, well, I'll tell you if you'll let me keep doing it. And they said, of course, we'll let you keep doing it. You know, just tell us what's going he's like, I'm sending it to the United yep. States with a label on it. And it's selling <laughs> a huge margin. Now there he works for a lot of those places. Right. Um, but the unique advantage he had of being where he is that meant there's products all around him that I could never get access to easily, right? I never would have been able to test these things out, but he can where he's at. And he did. And he built a house all cash on the beach in Jamaica and enjoys it with uh, his beautiful family uh, from the proceeds. And it's and it's absolutely wonderful. And you know what? Uh, I, I mean, the, the coaching you guys provide, the inspiration you provide with your podcasts and, uh, and, the, and the words of wisdom that you give uh, at, your, at your conferences, which I was looking forward to going to uh, last year. But We'll get it done. We will do it again. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. Uh, but you know, everybody's got their everybody's got their place, and everybody's uh, got a method to grow and, and and to better themselves. And and people shouldn't give up. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, thanks for the encouragement, and thanks for the hope, and and uh, the great story that's only just beginning. Can't wait to see where you go from here, Gene. Oh, definitely. Me too. And on that note, I think that's a good place to land this episode. I had a great time hanging out with Gene today, our friend in Canada, and he's one of. 60,000 plus people who hang out in our free Facebook group all the time from around the world talking about how to use the internet creatively to launch and grow businesses and and come together as a group and solve each other's problems and challenges and spur each other forward. Um, And it's just such a blessing to be a part of a group like that. And I truly enjoyed getting to to know him a little bit today. I'm sure you did too, as a listener of, of this show. One favor I'd ask in return is if you haven't shared silentgym.com with anyone lately told them about this podcast please do we have a zero dollar marketing budget for the show the way it grows 
is by you sharing it with other people. And thank you for those who are doing it because our numbers are exploding. Our episode listen rate has just been shooting up. So one of the most listened to e-commerce podcasts in the world, believe it or not, just little me behind a microphone, bringing on some of our successful students from the community and people love it. So we're going to keep doing it. Thanks for spreading the word. Uh, So Gene, thank your wife and family for loaning you to us. Listeners, thank you for loaning us some of your most valuable asset, your time, which is truly precious. And you gave us quite a bit of it today and we're grateful for that. So until next time, sign off here, Silent Sales Machine Radio. I'm your host, Jim. Great having Gene here with us today. God bless all the business building warriors. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit SilentJim.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.